Well, thank God it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance, amen? If you only knew the misery and the darkness of heart that my life has contained, I'm talking Andy Dufresne, sewer out of Shawshank kind of stuff, then you would see the miracle that it is that I have the privilege and been allowed to, allowed to over the next few minutes, open up the word of God and proclaim his forgiveness. And it's my hope if you're here desperate for that sort of freedom and forgiveness to be able to stand up in the reign of the mercy of God and celebrate the fact that you can now be free. If you're in that place today, it's my hope that you will receive that gift from Jesus Christ. That is free, by the way. You can stop trying to earn it. And we especially love to say that here at Vertical, don't we? My hope is that you will receive that today through the things that we discuss, through the words that we talk about together in the Bible. It's going to be a very interesting and good morning. And you know if I'm saying that, things are about to get spicy, aren't they, Vertical? I want to welcome you into our weekend service. It's a weekend that we look forward to each year. I especially look forward to this weekend because as a community, it gives us a chance to celebrate the life of a man who, although not perfect, did embody the ideals of this particular community. Certainly, and I want to say this from the outset, just to stop anybody who may be building a case against me already, Jesus Christ is the architect of this community. Do we understand that together, Vertical? Jesus Christ, we believe with all our hearts, is the builder of this community. Without Jesus, we would simply be a club that gets together and sings and listens every Sunday. Instead, because of Jesus, we're a group, catch this, this is part of the great news this morning, we're a group of broken people resting in the assurance that our sins have been forgiven. That's enough of a sermon right there, isn't it, Vertical? We're clinging to the hope that there are more around us, that because of our efforts, we'll be able to know the freedom of that forgiveness. Here's the big point, just right out of the gate. We gather because of the gospel. And in case you're unfamiliar with that word, let me just tell you what it is. It's the good news of Jesus Christ that you don't have to earn the favor of God by being a good Christian for your whole life. In fact, the good news of the gospel says we understand as the Trinity you're not going to be able to pull that off. We've made provision for you and we have proven it to you through the cross of Jesus Christ. Christ. The good news is God is an indiscriminate sower and there is freedom for you today, even over that thing that you believe has blocked you from the love of God. Jesus Christ is the architect. Leading here now in the intro, if Jesus Christ is the architect, then certainly MLK was an archetype. You see, here at this place, we treat this man's life as more than just a reason to take off work on Monday. We believe that MLK was an indiscriminate sower. And it's important to note here, before he was a sower, he started as soil. We all start as soil. That's something that we share in common with this man, something much deeper than pigment. He reminded and challenged those around him that our visible differences only highlight the creative genius of our common father. And as happens with most truth-tellers, he was rejected by the establishment. Just bear with me on this. I think we need to say this. Somehow, those who came before us convinced themselves that we, black and white, did not have anything in common. 
For some of you raised that way, it would be awkward to amen there. Just keep it to yourself. (laughs) Somehow, they were convinced that white sat in a higher elevated position in respect to black. That we, for reasons I'm still unclear about and, and can't understand all these years later, that white deserved different bathrooms, water fountains, laws, and restaurants. This arrogant paradigm is necessary for prejudice to be born. It's what gives hatred oxygen. And I would say further, if this is making you uncomfortable today, if you're thinking, why would you start a sermon with this? Or, and I've heard this from people close to me, Ben, you've got to let this go and move on. I would suggest that this is the remnant of the rage that was handed to us by those who have gone before us, and it is not holy. I would add further that if you're a person that our faith demands you become, you will with a fiery passion educate yourself and your kids in order to eradicate this kind of rage towards your fellow man. Seeing MLK from a legacy perspective, it seems obvious that he was a sower. That he was good soil for what God intended to do with and through his life. What should make this more impressive for us today is his life before his legacy. I think we could all agree that MLK was not a perfect man. He had his struggles sexually, specifically. But we also understand that he had a great many reasons to become the type of soil that Jesus described, trampled or rocky. What's most impressive to me is that he lived during a hard and dark time in our country's history without allowing his heart to become hardened or darkened. I want you to see what this type of soil looks like. Do you see, not just in culture, but in yourself, how eerily familiar these looks are? I would further point out that these are Mississippi Highway patrolmen with their arms against Martin Luther King's chest. The one that you see there, James Earl Ray, is the man responsible for murdering MLK. That is what hardened soil looks like. The other MLK, a man who in the end gave his life to a cause he deeply believed in, that is humble soil. That is what good soil looks like. Humble is a word that's gone away in our culture today. And having lived through the pandemic as a pastor, I would say it's equally fallen out of vogue in the church as well. I want to say to you with the few remaining minutes that I have left over the course of this month from this stage, I just want to say some very important things. And I do want to apologize if they come across as a little bit heavy. You give me that grace for the next couple of weekends. The yelling and the accusations I have sat through as your pastor. The friendships I have lost because of weak-minded people who couldn't see past their own anxiety to take into account the needs of others. The season of my life has been brief and negligible compared to the experiences of those who lived during the civil rights movement. Still, I struggle to this day with a hardened heart looking back. Is that all right to admit? I hope so. I just did. I'm reminded often in my anger and hurt 
I'm reminded of it because I'm forced to be uncomfortable at the grocery store or at a restaurant. I have to hear stories from my wife about her being blatantly ignored at our children's school because of men who had to think about their own private principles and they judged me because they judged me over my public decisions. That's hard. These wounds are going to take a long time to heal and it's not your responsibility to help me in that. That's between me and God. But part of my healing is admission. In all of this, no one ever lit a cross in my yard or threw a brick through my window or called me a racial slur. Compared to those who lived through the civil rights movement, my plight only looks like a temporary problem. And that view probably is actually closer to the truth. These sorts of facts, what I know about my own heart and my own response to my own world, makes MLK's commitment to humility even more staggering. So how do we know that he remained humble? How do we know we're not just glossing over his life through history? In this hostile environment, MLK spoke these words on August 28, 1963. You'll probably recognize them. I have a dream that one day right here in Alabama, right there in Alabama, little black boys and little black girls will be able to join hands little white boys and little white girls as sisters and brothers. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. That's what being good soil sounds like. We may never know how this man achieved this, but what we can do is speculate. Everybody still okay? As a young student, Martin, due to his father's friendship with one particular man, was able to discuss life and the problems it contains with this man, Benjamin Mays. You may not know him, but Martin surely did. He was a family friend and an instructor. I imagine as they shared meals together, one man instructed the other. The death of these two things, men sharing tables and men sharing knowledge, I believe has been the cause of many of the effects we're living in today. It was Mays who through his intentional investment added the essential nutrients to MLK's soil that allowed a movement to grow. Let me show you something, something that I think will be very interesting to you as we begin our discussion leading to Jesus today. Notice these words. It isn't a calamity to die with dreams unfulfilled, but it is a calamity not to dream. It is not your environment, it is you. The quality of your mind, the integrity of your soul, and the determination of your will that will decide your future and shape your life. Every man and woman is born into the world to do something unique and something distinctive. And if he or she does not do it, it will never be done. These are not the words of Martin Luther King. They are the words of Benjamin Mays. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's Proverbs chapter 27. Historians have labeled Mays the schoolmaster to the civil rights movement, and some have even called him MLK's mentor. We have a different label for these kinds of people here at Vertical Church. 
We call them disciples. So we get to the point in the morning where we ask some questions. Are you a follower of Jesus here today? If the answer to that question is yes, allow me to ask you two subsequent necessary questions. Who are you teaching? What are you teaching them? These are two very big questions in respect to the idea of soil. They're the kind of questions that we must ask because the revolution of our country's current state may actually depend on you sharing table and knowledge with the people around you. But before you do that, let's talk a little more biblical content this morning. Everybody okay with that? What makes us good disciples? What allows us to be good soil? I believe there is one main ingredient to good soil. Humility. And this isn't just a Ben idea. Trust me, it is not my natural state. But it is a biblical idea. Let's give some time to the Bible's instructions on humility. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. Romans 12, 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Notice the tone here. This is a very arrogant man, redeemed by the love of Jesus over his story, who is trying to humbly instruct that it's so important to be humble. Did you see that? It's only by grace I'm able to give you this instruction, stay humble. And just to pull out the river card, let's let Jesus speak, all right? Luke chapter 14, verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Those are the most dependable words that you'll hear all morning. They're caring and corrective at the same time, and I have to say at this point, only Jesus could pull this off in this kind of way. That's an Old Testament prophet, a New Testament disciple, and a holy Savior all saying the same thing. If you want to be good soil with your life, you will be humble soil. To take a moment personally here, it's on this foundation that I pray my legacy is built here at Vertical. Those who have sat at tables with me, who have mentored me, have built in me a deep desire. A desire that the people around me would not just have a determined faith, but a depth of faith. As a child... I witnessed balconies in churches full of people and baptistries in churches full of people to very little effect on the way that people were living life around me. That breaks my heart. It's why I believe it's so important that we should choose sacrifice over show, that we should choose love over languish. That we should choose the product over our life, over the pomp of our church services, and acceptance over accusation. 
we get there not through speeches, but through mediums like the discipleship process and the hangar and taking initiative through things like next steps. Because humility is acquired through adoption. See, we receive humility as a part of our character when we see it displayed in others, when we read God's teachings about it and discuss them together with our fellow traveler, when we begin to serve those who are now where we once were then. We have any I, I was there once kind of people here at Vertical? <laughs> you bet we do. Come on, everybody. That's everybody. We love it when the are now people walk through our doors because we remember exactly what that felt like and exactly how desperate we were for the freedom that Jesus offered us once and by his grace we accepted. This actually brings us to Jesus. I know some of you are relieved. The greatest and I believe most compelling description of the life of Jesus is found in the book of Philippians penned by a formerly arrogant man. We're going to allow it over the next few minutes to teach us some things about God. Everybody ready? Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It's something we don't often think about, but Jesus, in his pursuit of something, had to first give something up. So let me ask you a question. When's the last time someone asked you to give something up, anything? And what was your response? If you're anything like me, it's kind of like this. <laughs> Not so with Jesus. A willing, obedient Savior. He gave up his place in heaven. He was humble enough not to hang on to his status. And that vertical church should absolutely stun us. It goes a level deeper. When he arrived on his deployment, he was the least of these. He was not just a man, he was a servant man. Lastly and most importantly for our sakes, he humbled himself all the way to death on a tree. An important part of understanding Jesus is to understand that his humility led to his humiliation. And he was willing to be humiliated for you. There are very, very few people in my life that I'm willing to be humiliated for. How about you? Jesus, for the sake of us all. See, Jesus wasn't only a sower, he was good soil. He was good soil on purpose, good soil in order to show us what good soil looks like in action. He was good, godly soil. If you have questions about God and you need them answered, I would suggest that you begin by examining 
the life of Jesus. Jesus, through his actions, through his life, showed us two essential things about God. And we're going to wrap up today by talking about those two things. Anybody upset about short church? Not me. You're welcome. <laughs> the first is this. God is intentional. I've been making very dramatic statements, very absolute statements for the past couple of weeks. If you'll recall, I said that God can be trusted. It sounds true, but it's difficult to believe based on our lives at times, isn't it? This is a very similar type of phrase. God is intentional. It seems to make sense to us on a spiritual and emotional level, but in our mind, we can fight with it. So let's talk this out for a moment. Because I believe there are so many people in this room right now that believe they are accidental. Simply not true. If the event that introduced sin and rebellion into the world was careless and cavalier, and we can say that it was. You knew I was going to mention Genesis at some point. There it is. The event that introduced salvation and redemption into that same world was caring and calculated. I can't imagine the brainstorm that went on among the Trinity to figure out how to accomplish this rescue mission. We do so many things habitually, so many things unintentionally these days. The endless scroll, the binge watch, they're all part of how we live today. I want to say to you, it's not so with God. Every move, every thought, every plan, everything with God is intentional. Most of these things, in fact, are so beyond our limitations, it's hard for us to see them or to know them. It isn't God is being unintentional, it's that we are misinterpreting the things that are going on around us. Even still, God ensures that we benefit from his intentional activity. Why? Isn't that a big question? If God is so holy, and God is so other than, and God is so intentional, why does he allow us to receive the benefit from his activity even when we miss that it's him doing it? Have you ever been there in your life? The thing that God is most intentional with, I believe, speaking for him now, okay? I believe the thing that God is most intentional with is his love. Secondly, the actions of Jesus based on the teaching in Philippians, show us that God is communal. Think about this for a moment, will you, believer? God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, all present at creation. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, all present at the blessing of Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, my personal interpretation of the three men becoming visible. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit all present at the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. Don't you see the signal that the Bible is sending us? God announces over his creation at some point in Genesis, it's not good for man to be out of community. We could probably stop right there and just have hanger church for a minute, couldn't we? It is not 
good for a man to be alone. All these years, technology is proving this for us second by second. Even an iPhone or a streaming service cannot make alone good. The declaration of God, because he is communal, is that his creation, the things that he made, are designed to be with one another, not apart from one another. Departing from my notes now, we need to be aware, cognizant, seeing, looking for places where the enemy would seek to divide us. These aren't cultural issues, they're spiritual issues. It breaks my heart to see how many churches have been built in Madison County alone. We can't even sit together on Sunday mornings. Why? The enemy for generations has dropped in things in our culture to divide us. He's winning. It's time for us to win back. Why do you think the pandemic was such on my heart when I was writing this script? It's been the latest thing. To turn us on one another, believers divided. I wonder, how will the pages of history talk about us? In these moments in our culture where there are so many things that can divide us, isn't it the perfect opportunity, believer in the room, to be different, to send a signal of all the things that divide us? We will be united under the banner of the love of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ because that ultimately, church, is what matters most. I remember the song that they taught me. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Isn't it interesting? It's so hard for our lives to play that out after we're children. The enemy, so good at dividing us. The giftings of the Holy Spirit, they're even given through the ruach, the breath of God to the disciples when they are in the room together. Why? God could have done that in any way he saw fit. He was sending a message. The Israelites, they leave Egypt after hundreds of years of slavery as a unified nation. Try pulling that off politically today. Jesus, he sends the disciples out on their first missionary journey. Guess how? With a buddy. Two by two. What I'm trying to propose to you today is if we're not involved in the communal aspect of God, we're removing ourselves from a huge part of his character. And as a result, we cannot be good soil. So I say to you today in a very challenging way, it's your responsibility to know how these two qualities of God have impacted your life. It's only with that knowledge that you can be good soil, effective soil, joining the efforts of God in the lives of people around you. How has God, I just suggest that you type these out on your phone or jot them down on a card that's probably around you somewhere. How has God been intentional in your life? Some of my personal answers, God has intentionally allowed me to suffer through cancer as a young man, to break my arrogance. Similarly, he brought me, my wife, to consistently break my arrogance. And where she fails, both of my sons succeed. 
How has God been intentional in your life? God has intentionally brought me some dark days because without those Without those dark days, he wouldn't have brought me here. There's some stuff in my life that I had to heal, and this was a place to make it happen. It's beautiful that way, isn't it, vertical? Similarly, how has God introduced you to community? In what ways and what seasons has he brought you people that without those people you would surely fail? Have you accepted that gift or have you rejected that gift? How you answer these two questions will reveal to you how God has been sending you signals. Signals to show you the way he desires for you to be good soil. I want to end today with a commercial. It's worth the time. Next week, everything that we have talked about this morning will be on full display through the story of a friend of mine, Blake Vale, sitting right here this morning. We believe here that every story matters to God, every single one. Next week, Blake will take the stage to do an incredibly courageous thing. He will share his story with us and then be interviewed in front of us. I want to encourage you to grab everyone you possibly can this week to be in this room this time next week. Deal? My prayer is because this person has shared their story so beautifully that we would have an Easter kind of crowd. We're setting up chairs in the lobby because there's a man on Sunday who's going to tell the truth about how he's lived his life. That's unique, isn't it? These are the kind of weekends, I believe, vertical, that change people's lives. But they can only be changed if they're here. Next week, it's going to be Blake's courageous vulnerability that will help us learn more about what it looks like and sounds like to be good soil. Let's pray together. God, this morning... You have been with us, with me. I pray, God, the things that we said in this place, the things that are of you, they will remain. And the things that were not would stay here. For those in this room that need the indiscriminate sowing of your love over their story, I pray you gift it to them. Maybe even through us as a community. For those who could sit through this teaching as good soil because of the efforts of others, I pray that we would join the work, that we would find those that need us to infuse their soil with the nutrients required to grow into who you've called them to be. We thank you for the gift of this place, for what it means to all of us. A place beyond description where we found you. Be with us this week in our efforts, God. Make them of you. In Jesus' name, amen.